the night. I am Matt Laswitz. And welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast. Where each week, my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how's it going tonight? It's going, Matt. It's going. Once again, in our extensive pre-show meeting, we both kind of talked about how we're dragging ass tonight. Uh, you, apparently, in the, in the day job, your website exploded. That's been, that's been a traumatic experience. Me, on the other hand, I uh, was up this morning at uh, about 3.30, flying out of Nashville, uh, down here to Miami, Florida, to be with my co-co-host, Abigail, and backer of the show. So I want to announce a new premium uh, Patreon benefit. Uh, if I like you uh, romantically, I will come and visit you. You know, that's a that's a, a nice benefit for those of you. It's been uh, a long, hard plan of convincing him to fall in love with me. And then he thought it was his idea to come down to Miami. Whereas really, it was all just a plot of like for you to be here on a Wednesday. So I get to be on the show. Ah. Like it's finally complete. We're finally in the final phases. Oh, I've been foxed. Ah, uh, clever plot. She, she ran the old honeypot on me, man. Yeah. <laughs> but really, at this point, you just can't even be mad. I, I feel like I just emote enough respect. It's like, okay, fine. Just let her keep doing the show. Just let her keep me here for the whole episode. She works really hard on this. Like, uh, I respect the game. Uh, Jiminy. And, you know, it is fitting that Will is here with his romantic partner for this week's episode which, because we are releasing this episode right before Valentine's Day, what says romance more than a man in a bat costume pummeling the hell out of criminals? Hey, Batman bones tonight. And I ha- we will get there, but I have a vi- I have, I think I might have a slightly different opinion on okay, some of these okay, stories. Okay, in, in one book, he bones real nice. In the other one, not so nice. Okay, we'll we'll get there. We, we, we've got two stories of Batman in love, and one story that has love in the title. And <laughs> I guess it's kind of a love story. I mean, what? one of the characters really loves himself. Which, again, this is again, this might be a more of a female perspective. Last time I read Mad Love was, I was like maybe 19. And it, I read that as like a 19 year old girl, like, oh my God, this is so romantic. She found her soulmate. Now on the other side of 30, it's like, wow. Like I just hardly need somebody, she needs a role model to give her a talking to. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that, that's the, our, our first story of the night is indeed Mad Love. This is Batman Adventures, Mad Love from a story by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, written by Paul Dini with pencils and inks by Bruce Tim, colors by Tim and Rick Taylor, letters by Tim Harkins, edited by Scott Peterson and Darren Vincenzo with a cover date of February 1994. This is the story of the origin of Harley Quinn juxtaposed against Harley attempting to finally win the Joker's heart completely and for them to 
get rid of Batman. This is an Eisner Award winning story. This is an episode, a, a story that's been adapted into an episode of the new Batman Adventures. This is a pretty substantial, critical Batman story. It is also a story that is problematic in oh many boy. ways. And oh let's be fair, it has always been problematic and in some ways is problematic in the right way in that it's making a point, but it also makes that point in some really squeaky ways. This is uh, this is a very male centric uh, comic in terms of uh, its creators, and I f- I feel like that comes through on the page. Again, not to be critical, it's very much not written from like a oh a girl's in love with a guy. It's a guy who has a girl in love with him. Is how I feel. Yeah, this is written. This is the defining piece of Harley Quinn media for the next probably 20 years. Harley does not come into her own entirely for another 20 years. Yeah. The Connor and Palmiotti run is when she finally completely breaks away from the Joker regardless of how many times in those intervening 20 years she says she's done with the Joker. She always winds up going back. And all of that is pretty much established in this story. And this was my first time to read it. And I have to say, there were no, aside from the super fucking cringy parts, there weren't any surprises to this. There doesn't seem to be some kind of deep, unexplored area that we needed to go to that was illuminated in this book in all fairness when this came out all of this was fresh none of this had been spoken anywhere before short of one almost throwaway line in an episode of batman the animated series where bruce tells dick that harley used to be joker's psychiatrist That is the only reference to Harley's background that had been made before this comic came out. Which is, again, I feel like one thing I love about this comic, which is maybe just because I love the character, is that she kind of happened in reverse. She was in the animated series and became very popular. So like this origin story, I feel it's kind of unique in the way of it's not them being like, well, this is the origin of a character. I hope this goes really well. It's like, we have this blank slate that everybody loves. Let's write the book of it. <laughs> and Interestingly, while in modern times, that is definitely true. Jimmy Olsen first appeared in the Superman radio show. Perry White first appeared in the Superman radio show. Kryptonite first appeared in the Superman radio show. And- As always, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else, Matt knows his shit. Also... This is another weird backwards compatibility thing. Renee Montoya was created for Batman the Animated Series, but because of the lead time that an animated series requires, 
she appeared in the comics before she debuted on the cartoon, although she was created for the cartoon. But she was expected to be this character worked into the mythology. Harley was out of nowhere. Nobody expected her to be a breakout star. And she appears, her first appearance is the first aired Joker episode. Not the first produced, but the first aired Joker's Favor, which dropped the the Friday of the first week that the show aired, which I remember because I had been waiting for to see what the Joker was going to be like on this cartoon. And I was sitting in front of the television with my eyes wide in expectation, waiting for that episode. And that is to this day, one of my favorite episodes of that show because it's so smart and it's not a Batman story. Batman appears very little in that episode. It's really the story of just this guy that the Joker is fucking with for the entire episode. It's so great. There's, there are a lot of bits to this that are really interesting. The concept of this disturbingly codependent, not even, no, it's not even a codependent relationship. The Joker isn't dependent on Harley at all. It's a one-sided codependent relationship. Yeah. Obsessive. Yes. It is done really interestingly in here and in other places, but the level of abuse that the Joker heaps on Harley is really uncomfortable. Absolutely. Did not age well. No. There, there are two moments for me in reading this where the book just kind of stopped dead in its tracks. The first is where Harley is depicted as this, uh, as this honeypot of a student where she's uh, sleeping with a professor. That was, that was not good. And the second, which I, we just, you can't do today, uh, you shouldn't have done then, is when Joker physically assaults yeah. Harley. And that was, whoa. Which, that first one, I just remember it, thinking back on this book, of being, it's the panel of her on the gymnastic rings. And it's like, oh, she was such a great gymnast. And then it was a panel of her at school, which always, like in my head, refreshed back to sort of like one of the first Batman comics like I ever read was like one panel of Batman doing like martial arts working out. And the next panel was like him in a lab. And it was like he trained his body, then trained his mind. And that's kind of how I've always remembered this. Reading it again for this, it's like a sharp turn of like, okay, the panel, that's good. Then the next one's like, whoa, they just ruined all of this. Like, that's so not okay. And it also just like attacks the Harley Quinn, I know, especially from the stuff now that she was like, wasn't that smart. She was just a honeypot. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's not good and it has been very much contradicted by everything we've seen with the character since then the redemption i guess maybe not the best word of the harley quinn character that we've seen in the past number of years especially with the one of the few good things to come out of the new 52 is harley getting a more mature arc 
and and that's with her own series not with the suicide squad stuff that came right out of the new 52 that was oy vey. but yeah that 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 honeypot thing is 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 not good the joker being physically abusive to harley is ugly and uncomfortable the the thing about it is it's so true to the joker as a character because that is who he is. Harley is something to be disposed of. She's convenient. And when she's not convenient, she's to be set aside. I, I'm not sure how else that because that is to be handled. Because the Joker is vile and violent to everyone who is subordinate to him. Every henchman, every whatever he has no real affection for anyone or anything except for himself and maybe batman in some way or another especially in some versions of the the relationship between the two of them which does go back to there's i don't think there's any other way without somehow telling a different version of the joker that's not accurate Harley could be anything else than what she is, which is just this one-sided obsession because that's the only thing that would work because that's what it would literally, what would it take for the Joker to have a girlfriend? You'd have to have this person who's 100% obsessed because of all those things you just listed. So it's kind of like, I'm really happy that she has her arc, especially now. But some of the cringy parts, it's kind of like, well, I guess it is kind of like she's just, yeah, that's exactly what it would have to be like if there was a girl with the Joker. This story gets the Joker dead on because this story points out the Joker is a preening narcissist. That in the end, he can't accept that Harley is the one who outsmarted Batman, that Harley's the one who's going to kill Batman. No, it has to be him. And the fact that Harley stepped in his path, he's just going to kill her. This is the thing beyond anything else that pushes him over the edge is that she did the one thing he couldn't. And Bruce knows that that's the Joker's weakness. And Bruce plays the both of them for it, too. She, she, she's better at this than you are. Sorry, bud. Sorry, Puddin'. <laughs> oh, the, the look when uh, the look hey, the look on Batman's face when Batman calls the Joker Puddin is priceless and in the Joker's sheer rage at that the joke the way Joker plays Harley in the flashback is also spot on because the Joker is a brilliant monster he knows how to play people and the fact that it's also that uh, the multiple choice histories thing, which is something that has been a, a fixture of the Joker for years. And the fact that he just knows all the strings to pull to, to get this, to get a, a useful pawn. How, you know, well, you had had, you were not in love the last time we had something that was, Tim Art, which is that Batman Adventures annual that was only partially Tim Art. This one, how is how is it on this one? 
Oh, remind me what what was that? The Etrigan Rachel Ghoul annual. That part of it was Bruce. It was Bruce Tim and Glenn Murakami. It was way back. It was the episode with Dan back episode five. So it was many weeks ago. The Kirby oh, homage. Oh. oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was I was more down on that because like so much of it seemed like just kind of filler. Uh, no offense to uh, Ken Kirby, certainly. Um, no, I mean, I think this was an absolute solid representation of the show. That I, again, you you turned it over to the uh, the kings of that kingdom, and of course, it's it's going to look great and it's going to feel great. I was looking at one version that had a lot of notes and back matter and some some draft material and talking about the art and uh i i I tweeted about this artists out there don't feel bad for your goofs i don't know how far this made it uh, in the process but there is one panel like in the back of this you know process uh half of uh of this special edition where joker's on the phone and there is there is a note uh from the artist i think and Joker's on the phone, right? But the phone is also still on the hook. So somebody drew two phones of that panel. And the note is, wow, must fix. Well, I mean, I don't know if you understand how call waiting works, but <laughs> <laughs> just as far as the art goes, the splash page where Harley Quinn busts through the door and it's like her in her costume and she's like, say hello to your new and improved Harley Quinn. That is a lovely page. I like the art almost feels a tiny bit different than the rest of the book with how she looks in it. Like the, maybe the shading seems more to me, but that is a lovely page. Like that could easily be on your wall as just a wonderful Harley Quinn splash page. That's iconic. They've done statues using that yeah. as the the template. And that comes at the end of a two or three page sequence of silent pages that are just yeah. Tim going to town as after Batman drags Joker back to Arkham, beaten and bloodied, and you see Harley With transforming herself. Yeah. Like she's got the tears seeing him. And just her besheveled look, it's the top of the, like, it goes, I think page two of those three, the top center panel of her with her box of all the costume supplies. And she's just like, okay, that's where the crack happened. Right there. We can date, timestamp it. That's when officially she left the building. <laughs> that, that is a really good sequence. Uh, I, I love uh, Batman's astonishment at whoa she has feelings here mm. that's, that's yeah. weird that's weird that's a little fucked up mm. and th- this whole story everyone underestimates Harley she gets Batman because he underestimated her and I mean Joker clearly underestimates her because he would have never well he underestimates everyone because he's the joker and again preening narcissist and i love the there's one panel uh during the scene when bruce is chained up upside down and he starts to laugh and she's like you know 
uncomfortable because he, he, of how creepy his laugh is and the broken look on her face when Bruce starts telling her the, the story that he told the parole officer that's just another version of the story that Joker used on her. It's, oh, it breaks your heart. And it breaks your heart more in the end when she goes back, she clearly goes back to him. Which it's also, like, the sequence of her breaking the Joker out is like, you have that iconic page, and then it's maybe nine panels on a single page of her doing, like, the can gag on the guards and getting out. That whole sequence ends with them driving off into the sunset. Which, in a way, if, like, the book ended right there, you'd be like, oh, my God, this is so romantic and so lovely. Instead, it's, like, this weird flashback of something that's kind of horrific going on. Of Like, well, no, this was the life with the Joker after that. When you have this, when you take this into account, it is absolutely fascinating to see Harley now as this figure of the someone who has been through an abusive relationship who is now come out the other end and confronted her abuser but there are so many people who loved the relationship as it stood here and it's like oh boy it's not even like you're not getting the subtext you're not getting the text text Matt, look, I just love the Punisher, all right? I mean, I think he's just a cool guy. Yeah, well, but it is. It's also, again, when I was an undergrad, I used to watch Hallmark movies all the time. And I had a next-door neighbor, and she would come over, and she would just be like, you realize if the music wasn't playing this happy, how fucked up and creepy and horrific this is, right? And it would be like, Shh, it's romantic, it's a fantasy. And it's like, in a way, that's kind of what this is. It's like a romance movie, but like the emotions at 11 and there's no like montage or happy music. So everything's just landing and it's like, oh, he's kind of abusive, isn't he? That's not romantic. Kind of. <laughs> what, what I always get a kick out of is the guy who played Zoom, the super speed serial killer from the second season of The Flash, has been the love interest in a bunch of those Hallmark movies. So every time I know it, it's like, Hallmark oh, Heron, run away! He's going to you know, vibrate his hand into your chest and kill you! Don't! <laughs> and the dude who plays Bruce Wayne on Batwoman has also been a hero in a bunch of those Hallmark movies. Like, huh. Yeah, Bruce Wayne would not be good in one of those movies because he would never come around in the end. He'd always just wind up being Bruce Wayne again. But I the think... Batman does bone. Damn right. He's got to bone a couple of times. We're, gonna get... We're getting there. But before we get there, I think we have to do something else. It's time to put Mad Love on the board. All right. So going into this week, we have 60 stories on this list. Uh, Story number one is Batman Year One from Batman Volume One, numbers 404 to 407. Smack dab in the middle at number 30 is Super Heavy from Batman Volume Two, number 41 to 50. And all the way down to the bottom is still Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves. Rest in fucking peace, you shit book. 
Okay. This is a historically significant book. With some cringy moments. Yes. I said it before. I'll say it again. This one is a toughie. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean, it's, it's for just how important and the general, the quality of the art is it's, it's a top half book. Oh, without question. Certainly. This is, I think one of the, one of the common uh, difficulties faced in this kind of job, you know, do you judge something by uh, the period you are in now, or do you judge something by the period of when it was conceived? I still can't get over physical violence against a romantic partner, even even if it's the Joker and even if it is not a true romantic relationship. It's just, man, what a just just a that's a sickening feeling to see that. I I I am glad our <laughs> I was just gonna say, as your romantic partner, I am very pleased and relieved <laughs> to hear this. <laughs> Reading Mad Love with you could have taken a very, very dark turn of just like, uh-oh, what did we get into? <laughs> but you passed the test. Uh anyway, I'm uh, I'm glad our understanding and our sensibilities of these issues have have certainly evolved because i don't think you can put those scenes together in 2022 it just you couldn't not without there being some form of reciprocal he takes a swing she hits him back yeah yeah it it has to be a some kind of empowering moment right and there is no empowering moment here. I mean, eventually there's an issue of Harley Quinn where Harley eventually gets her revenge and just beats the living shit out of the Joker years later. It's a good issue. Very, you know. We'll get to it. We'll yes, get to it. We will. All right. So we're, we're talking Paul Dini here. We have other Dini stories on this list. Up at number 13, we have Beautiful People. And at 16, we have Sleigh Ride. This is more significant than either of those stories. Doesn't necessarily make it better, but it's more significant. That's true. We do that, and it's it's top 20, which is it's nothing to sneeze at. No, I, I think it definitely is, is a top 20 book. Again, for its, its import. And it, I mean, again, this is the uh, the origin of probably one of the two most significant characters introduced in or through the comic book medium in the past 30 years. Harley and Deadpool. Just because I mean, they, they are two characters introduced who have gotten the most pop culture cachet. And so this is the defining one of the defining books of one of one of DC's biggest money makers outside of the bat himself and probably Superman and maybe Wonder Woman. I, mean, I guess Wonder Woman, you know, the Wonder Woman did better box office than Birds of Prey did. But when you factor in Birds of Prey, Suicide Squad and the Suicide Squad, I, I don't know what the bo- and again, finances aren't I, how we're defining this. No, but there is Harley Quinn has an HBO show. Yes. 
I can't think of an, especially in the animated, which is different than the box office, blah, 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 blah. Like you can't do those side by side. I don't know of another character outside of Batman or Superman themselves that it was like, oh yeah, they're doing an HBO show. You're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That totally drops right into the zeitgeist. It's like, yeah, of course, Harley Quinn. Like, And is probably the biggest queer character in comics. Again, important. Harley is a significant character. A very significant character. Just be careful which rider you give her to. Because uh, uh, we know at least one of them who's real anxious to unqueer uh, everything about her. We'll get know. there. <laughs> we'll that's, get there. That's Sean Gordon Murphy, love. Yeah. And those, those books are awful. I know, but they're just going to be framed in the runs going on the wall next to... I have to balance out my mad love wall. I have mad love framed on the wall. So I've got to get some new stuff to frame and sort of put around it. So it's like, yeah, this is like, and that's good. It's the same thing I stand behind. I have the widening gyre framed, which is exactly where that book belongs behind glass where no one will accidentally read it. Uh, All right. uh, We we got to do something with this book. Uh, uh, I'd feel real bad putting it above uh, Hagatia. I just uh, emotionally, I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that. So does it drop right below there? Does it drop and become our new fifteen? Sounds good. Let's do yeah, it. I think that's that's got to be it. All right. So our new number fifteen is. Batman Adventures, Mad Love. Okay. Our next story is Only Takes a Night. This is Catwoman, Volume 3, Number 32. Writer is Ed Brubaker. Pencils by Sean Phillips. Inks by Stefano Codino. Colors by Laurie Cronenberg. Letters by Clem Robbins. Edited by Matt Idelson and Nachi Castro. Cover date of, of August of 2004. Selena Kyle Catwoman returns to Gotham after having been abducted for a month and goes out on a date with Bruce Wayne while her supporting cast has their own evenings. This is our first Brubaker on this show. Ed Brubaker, who is one of my favorite writers in comics, a master of the crime comic. And this one off issue is penciled by his regular nowadays partner in crime, Sean Phillips. Uh, They had worked together already on a couple of things, but this is one of only a couple of bat comics that Brubaker and Phillips work on together. Could you imagine the size of the truck of money it would take DC to get Brubaker and Phillips to come back and do a Cape comic? Uh, yeah, dump truck full of money. I mean, especially because Brubaker yeah. was just announced as joining the writer's room of the new HBO Max Batman, the Cape Crusader animated series. I forgot about that. Yeah, show run by Bruce Tim with Brubaker on the writing staff. I mean... Whew. Let's he's get getting, a comic book tie-in. Fingers yeah, crossed. He's getting that. That Brubaker was the head of the writers' room for the first season of Westworld. 
this guy does not need DC money anymore. But yeah, dump truck full of money. I'd be there for it. I'd be there for a gorgeous graphic novel, a nice hardcover Brubaker and Phillips Batman graphic novel. Oh, I'd love that. Or I mean, hey, if Phillips can't because he's working on whatever, Brubaker and Michael Lark. Love that, too. Not bad. Not bad. This is an issue that I always remember. This is one that stuck in my head after reading it as one of the best Batman Catwoman romantic stories I'd ever read. And I was really worried. It's like, oh, please, please hold up. Please be as good as I remember you being. And I'm happy to say that it pretty much held up. That This is a very sweet little story. And I just adore Slam Bradley in this, right? You get this, uh, this sweet, uh, this sweet lug trying to bat out of his league. And, uh, and, and there's somebody there to like gently say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, and it's, it's real sweet. Cause if, if you read the whole run earlier in the run, he and Selena had, it might've been more than a one night stand, but not by much when she was in a real kind of bad place. And it, th- this was kind of, she just needed comfort and he was there. And at one point, like he comes at Bruce and it's like, dude, why did you do that? It did not like, you know, he could break you in half with not even thinking about it. But it's, it's, oh, oh, poor, poor slam, poor, poor love struck slam Bradley. Oh, Brubaker just absolutely gets Batman and the way Batman deals with a relationship because <laughs> he admits <laughs> freely that he's terrible at it. I, okay, again, this might be the female perspective. He, like, cries, gets her into bed, and then then leaves. So she wakes up and there's a note. And it's a little bit like, whoa, dude, you can't, like, wake her up and be like, I have to go. Like, she knows his secret. I've got to go fight crime. He writes her a note and signs it. Be because <laughs> like, uh, you see, uh, see that could be uh, that could be Bruce uh, or that could be Batman. Uh, you, you don't know. I don't know. You don't All know. I'm so it's, it's, you just go is, with the beat. dude. At the very <laughs> least, I want to be woken up and get a sweet nothing. Not be thinking to myself, does that rat bastard have a bat signal button on the belt? Did he? Did I just get played? Like, okay, I'll I'll give you that. I don't. I, 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 I can, robbery in the diamond district that's to go. just exactly it's like it's very important <laughs> that's my only comment other than that it's beautiful and i love it and i also love seeing catwoman and the interactions with all of her cats just because they're a full character in the story which i deeply enjoy i think it's like the first issue of the new 52 catwoman there's like a splash page where she's going off a cliff and it's like her cat's jumping off onto her bag and like going with her. And it's like, yeah, they're like her little Pikmin. Like they're a part of her. Anyway. 
there's one page is just a montage of Bruce and Selena on a date. And I love that page. I love it when Bruce kind of goes out and tries to be human and when it, it kind of works. Yeah, the only other comic from uh, from King's Run that I think we should get around to reading, of course, we'll cover them all. But the only thing that really sticks out in my mind, speaking about dates, uh, date night. Very similar vibe, added wrinkle of Superman and Lois. But it's it's so different to see these characters just living. And it's it's very sweet. You know, as Abigail said, like the art here is just beautiful. The colors, especially in this uh, date night montage, like each panel is shaded in a totally different color. And it's just it's beautiful. I love that they're, they've went to see a movie that had a mystery and Bruce hadn't figured it out. And I love I love that because, no, not ne- mysteries in movies and TV and books don't always follow the same rules as something that a real, a regular detective, you know, someone who really does this for a living would figure out or not that Bruce does it for a living, but you know what I mean? Well, it's just like, I mean, at this point, I think it's like, if he was doing his taxes, Batman's the full-time gig. Oh yeah, no doubt. And this is less than a year after Selena found out his identity officially canonically because that happened in Hush, which would have been in 03. And this is the end of 04. So we're, we're early in the relationship where they both are on an equal footing in the relationship. Aside from the Bruce and Selena stuff, I'd forgotten how much of an ensemble book the Brubaker Catwoman was that while yes, Selena is your main character slam and his son, Sam and Holly and Karen. And although she's mentioned, she doesn't appear in the issue. Leslie Tompkins all have such a big part in this series. I know at your recommendation, I went and read a Slam Bradley backup that was really, really good. Oh, yeah, that and was... uh, I just I just want to read more of the series because all of those characters mesh together so well. Yeah, that was that was the Detective Comics backup that led into the new Catwoman number one. That was the Brubaker and Cook. It was Brubaker and Cook for the first four issues of that run. And oh, sublime. Oh, it's so good. This is my favorite Catwoman run, Brubaker's Catwoman run. The art comes and goes, especially towards the end. Paul Galassi, who's an artist who did some very good art in the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s, but by this point, he had almost sort of flanderized his own style. It was so over the top in places. We'll get to some of it. It's like, hmm. Dial but it I, down, bud. Dial it down. Yeah, I mean, Cameron Stewart, who, from what we know now, is kind of a scummy human being, but is a, drew some gorgeous art for this series. Uh, Javier Polito does some of the art for this run. Oh, it's so good. And uh, the remaining issues of this run, even after Brubaker leaves, uh, Will Pfeiffer does the most 
the majority of the rest of the run, and it's perfectly good. It's not quite Brubaker. I don't think. And, Cat- and who the fuck would be Jesus? Yeah, I mean the best a Catwoman book has been since that is the just wrapped up Rom V run. I was not a big fan of most of that New Fifty Two run, and Joel Jones' run was 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 good, but it wasn't. Rom V did a great great job, and we're getting Teeny Howard. By the time this episode drops, the Teeny Howard run will have started, but we're still one or two weeks off that as the time we are recording. I read uh, one of one of Rom's uh, issues, a uh, fun heist book, which like, yeah, it's Catwoman. Of course, it should be a heist. Oh, yeah. But he does. Rom does the same thing that Brubaker did, which is sort of set her up as the Robin Hood for uh, a part of Gotham that needs someone like that. Selena on the as the the Robin Hood of the East End is so much of what this run is. And I love it and I love Holly and one of the things I will always hold against the Tom King run is turning Holly into this manipulated serial or spree killer. Ugh, that was versus, not good. Yeah, versus this really Selena's best friend, which is what she is in this run. Phillips, it was Brubaker and Phillips that was Gotham Noir, right? And they did one issue of Batman. And I'm pretty sure they did the the Elseworlds prestige format Gotham Noir together. I'm I'm trying to remember if it was Brubaker and Phillips or if it was Brubaker. No, it was. It was Brubaker and Phillips. I was right. Michael Lark did Nine Lives. That is a good book. Dean Motter and... Lark on Nine Lives, but they're both Batman in you know hard boiled detective mode. Elseworlds, yeah. Uh, I'll pitch uh, another Elseworlds episode. We'll do Nine Lives, uh, Batman of Arkham, and uh, something else, yeah. Maybe Gotham Noir, yeah. Our uh, year 100, mm. or there's one, uh, Nevermore that's Batman meets Edgar Allan Poe back in the Poe era with art by Guy Davis. So it's all sorts of freaky looking. Oh, that sounds weird. Yeah. yeah. Coming to your ears probably seven years from now when we need another episode that uh, Matt hasn't already brilliantly strategized and planned out. I'll recommend to you and to the, the world out there, if you love any of the, the, the stuff Brubaker and Phillips are doing now and you've not read Sleeper, they're book from Wildstorm, their first long-form project that they ever worked on together, you are missing out. It's set in the Wildstorm universe, but only sort of tangentially. Like, Grifter and John Lynch pop up, and the main villain is a character Alan Moore created in his run on Wildstorm, Dow. But it's mostly Brubaker and Phillips doing a spy epic in the Wildstorm universe. It's this guy, Holden Carver, who went undercover in this international supervillain crime cabal. And his handler, the legendary Wildstorm character, John Lynch, is shot and goes into a coma. And Lynch is the only one who knows that Holden really didn't sell out the organization. So Holden has to go native to protect himself. So uh, you're basically selling me a comic book departed. Yeah, kind of, yeah. It, <laughs> and, 
It ran 24 issues, two 12-issue volumes, and who boy. And it, like, Brubaker creates all of these supervillains with some seriously fucked up powers and some seriously fucked up origins. Uh, I mean, like the main characters, aside from Holden, whose ability is he can pretty much take any damage, heal it almost immediately, but the next person he touches gets that damage inflicted on them. So if he gets his arm broken, it heals up almost immediately, but the next person he touches, their arm breaks. If he gets shot, the next person he touches gets the GSW damage. Fucked up. Yeah, yeah. And his one of his love interests, Miss Misery, the worse things she feels like she is doing morally, the stronger and more powerful she gets. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. Oh, it's it's <laughs> this. Ser- oh, and his buddy on the inside, Genocide Jones, who's just your. Uh, I, I, look, I'm just going to cut you off right there. Genocide Jones is going to be up to some shit. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You gotta get because he's this just you know your your stereotypical sort of super strong, super durable guy, but you get to the the end of the first volume, you find out his origin, and it's like, holy shit, my heart just friggin' broke for this lug. It's such a good series. It's one that doesn't get the attention that your criminal or your kill or be killed or your fade out does but this is the first work long form work that Brubaker and Phillips did and it is well worth your time and you really don't need to know all the Wildstorm history what little you need to know is explained this was the first Wildstorm thing I ever read uh, the second because Brubaker did a miniseries that led into it called Point Blank with Colin Wilson on art that was the first thing I read because it was Brubaker. And, and then I read this. But yeah, uh, that's a, a total tangent, but it's, it's, it's Brubaker and Phillips. I, I, I got to rep Brubaker and Phillips. Uh, uh, welcome to Bat Chat Tangent Hour <laughs> with your host, Matt and Will. Yeah. So uh, do we have anything else on, on this, this book? It's a good fucking book. Yep. So I think that means... It's time to put Catwoman 32 on the big board. Oh, boy. Again, definitely top half. Yeah. It's a much smaller book, which it does not say it doesn't wind up high. I mean, we've got some some books that aren't big books in that top area. Mm. As as weird as it felt to me to put it so high, I think the ceiling for this is definitely Mad Love at fifteen. I don't yeah. I don't think we can go higher than that. The floor somewhere around Doomsday Book. I mean, I'm looking between fifteen and twenty six. Yeah, give yeah. or take. I was probably looking somewhere in the teens. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bloodstorm, for example, good, not great, 
Uh, same thing, uh, Cry for Blood. I was thinking the new number 18. I was thinking right below Sleigh Ride. I could be talked one lower, uh, below Tower of Babel. Which, by the way, yes, I know I pronounced it Babel throughout that entire episode, which is how I was taught <laughs> it was pronounced. But it, it's, it is apparently Babel. So, yeah, Tower of Babel. That's that's hey, that's the noise we make. Babble, 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 babble. So right below Sleigh Ride, or do we give it can we give Tower of Babel for its significance of being that sort of this is the story where we start to see that Batman's a complete paranoid wacko. <laughs> uh and that Mark Wade is a weirdo uh in uh, in that book yeah i i think i i like this at uh, at the new 19 okay so we'll drop this in the new number 19 right below tower of babel right above cry for blood well they're typing away for the listeners at home will's girlfriend is just realizing he has over nine thousand comics Oof. on his Oof. kindle account it's what happens when you give the lady the login information. You get called out on your own goddamn podcast. She was choosing not to do the math on that this late hour. Look, 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 look. Understand that's over several years. Multiple years. Several, at like, okay, don't. This is just good. Later in this relationship, when you're asking why I need a fourth sewing machine, I just want you to know you're going to be dead in the water for any argument moving forward. But that's okay. Continuing with the show. I never ask how much that cheese that Amber is bringing home costs. She's a foodie? I just... Absolutely, my love. Those expensive chocolates, that expensive cheese... You don't ask how much that stack of comics I bring home every week is. I don't ask about the food. We, you know, 15 years later, we're perfectly happy with that. That particular range. Absolutely. Yep. You're shaking on this as we speak. Yep. But we have one more story. Uh, One more story. One more story. This one is, speaking of Batman boning, and oh boy, does Batman bone down here. Son of the demon. He lays this lady down by the fire. He does it right. Uh, Son of the Demon. Batman, Son of the Demon, original graphic novel. Written by Mike W. Barr. With art, pencils, inks, and colors by Jerry Bingham. Letters by John Costanza. Edited by Dick Giordano and Jonathan Peterson. With a cover date of September of 1987. Batman allies himself with Rachel Ghoul to stop an international terrorist. And in the process, he and Talia marry and develop a real deep relationship before things wind up going how they pretty much always do when Bruce gets in a relationship. Not, not well. This is uh, our third Mike Barr story, third, fourth, with Doomsday Book and Fear for Sale. But this is not these one little one-offs. This is a full 80-page painted or at least colored in a very lush way graphic novel. And is thus was outside the code. This is as uh, 
graphic novels were not submitted to the code. So Barr is able to push things a little further in this book than he does in some of those fun little one-off stories. Uh, C.E.G. The Boning. Yes. This is a wild story. This it really is. Th- this has a plot th- that if you removed Batman and dropped in James Bond, this is some Roger <laughs> exactly. Moore exactly. crazy ass Roger Moore James Bond shit with this story. Yeah. There's yeah. a weather uh- machine. <laughs> and there's a lot of Batman action with like guns going off and dodging bullets and taking people down. It's like not the commandos and infiltration. (laughs) And Bruce's usual I don't kill is he probably doesn't actually kill anybody in here, but Uh, look, look, when you when you batarang the uh, the barrel of toxic goop the the RoboCop special toxic goop and it uh, fucking melts the guy's face and you know it's gonna melt the guy's face you killed him yeah All right you oh killed yeah him. well but let us not forget this is the Russians in the eighties so probably they were like those aren't people those are like Batman's being a freaking American hero right now if he gets some stuff. We're good. There, there is also some Batman Begins level. I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. <laughs> stuff in here with some of these these guys dying. That that he and and that's I mean Barr is the guy who in you know a Doomsday book he uses a thug as a human shield. Barr tends to play kind of fast and loose with Bruce's. I don't kill. I I remember that now. Yeah, that it's. Those books are, are more closely aligning now. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it makes sense. This, uh, just as this is a ambiguously to non-canon book. It was sort of up in the air whether this was canon, and then it was sort of written out of canon. And while it creates sort of a proto-Damian concept, the actual conception of Damien is not the conception that we have here. So it's more an inspiration for later stories than a story that directly works in modern canon. And yeah, I mean, I mean, like said, this is an 80s book. I mean, you got Gorbachev and Reagan right in this book and, and, and terrorists and though the way terrorists are presented is a very 80s Rambo-y sort of terrorist vibe. And our main terrorist, Kane, is... With a Q. With a, with a Q, Q, people. Yeah. Again, this is a guy you could see in an 80s action movie as your villain. He has minimal motivation. I mean, I guess he, you know, he gives him more motivation than some of those that... He witnessed his parents die in Hiroshima while in a sub with Rachel Ghoul. Again, yeah. wild. Raish, Raish <laughs> sent them to die in Hiroshima, uh, you know, accidentally. 
I, I, I was, I did not know uh, Raish served. <laughs> and I gotta say, I will take that over the Raish worked with the Nazis, which is something we see in other stories because they were, you know, winnowing humanity. Don't like that. Don't like that. Yeah, I think we got some really weird Bruce slash Batman notes in this book, but Raish reads pretty well strangely well at least in compared to like the 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 stranger batman moments oh yeah i think this is one of the best races outside of the original denny o'neill race this is very much right in that that line this is the you know those those magneto was right t-shirts this is you know or those people that say thanos is right Neither of them were, and Raish isn't really either. But this is a more reasonable Raish al Ghul than you get in some of these other versions where he's releasing plagues or selling drugs that lets you turn into a werewolf or doing the crazy shit he did in Tower of Babel with eliminating the ability to read and speak. And I, I don't guess I was spending most of the issue like waiting for the turn but i really liked how there there wasn't one like there was no there was no moment where race is like aha i have you now detective this was not a story at least where race is concerned where i felt like it insulted my intelligence as a reader no but batman suddenly turning into overprotective husband dad guy that was sudden and very weird. And that and that's, of course, the main thrust of the story. But an odd moment in the book to me, too, was where he stumbles upon this, uh, you know, this dead scientist. And then he immediately brings everyone into the office. All right, let's let's do the lineup. Line up of suspects. Let's talk about this while this guy's still warm. Very murder mystery from the 30s and 40s sort of vibe there. I mean, it's, it's a locked room mystery. This is Barr, again, I talked about this with Doomsday Book, Barr's a mystery fanboy. And this is absolutely him playing with the tropes of the, the classic whodunit. And it, it comes back around at the end. Kind of soft for me. Oh, yeah, it's not a great mystery because the, the evidence really isn't a thing, and especially when Batman immediately jumping to one conclusion, a very logical conclusion, and then it not really being something you think about much for the rest of the story. It's not a great mystery, but it's Barr just sort of playing with that trope because he wanted to have a little mystery in there. But yeah, the, the overall idea of that, you know, Batman makes this alliance with Raish rekindles a relationship with Talia, uh, immediately gets her preggers, and then becomes like, whoa, I'm I'm Bat Dad now. I have to uh I have to be uh out here making better decisions as Bat Dad. I have to keep Talia from doing anything. Which 
from the female perspective, is the appropriate response after you bone a girl. He doesn't just be like, this was good. Let me get out of here now. The bat signal's going off. You're a superhero too, and you could come with me and we could sexy fight crime, but you just sleep here on the couch. I'm going <laughs> to slip out. I think this all lined up very well. That's just the female perspective. Anyway. However, I, I would have liked Taya to smack him at one point and be like, uh, I've been doing this for a long time. I know my limits. You, you need to back off versus her being a little more deferential to him being that overprotective. Because she's Talia fucking Al Ghul. And, and of course, the ultimate resolution is basically the same thing that we saw in the King run. I know that I can't have this and you be Batman. So I'm going to sarcastic air quotes, lose the baby. Uh, and so that will enable you to continue to be Batman. There, there was a bit where Bruce was like, no, I'm not going to go and help you and the, your soldiers, you know, take out Kane, Raish. I need to stay here and protect Talia. Uh, Bruce, you do know if they fail, the world is going to get wiped out. What, what, what? So you're going to keep Talia a lot. You're going to watch her now just so y'all can get blown up when Kane starts the war between the U.S. and the USSR? Really? Hey, I hadn't thought about it that way. Oh, shit. I can see Bruce being overprotective. I mean, they, they lay the groundwork in the story with the fact that, you know, they do lots of talk even earlier on about being a father and fathers and sons and parents and children. So it's all there, but he's still Batman. And by this point, he's had two Robins. It's not like he hasn't been a father figure. It's like, boy, it feel you feel kind of bad for Dick. It's like you, I'm going to bring you out and endanger you every night. But oh, this kid's my biological kid. And she's my, you know, mother of my child I can't let them get into any danger must protect my seed I think a, a lot of the problem with Batman in this book is where we take we take the subtext and we make it text you know this is what I believe Brave and the Bold 20 did if I remember correctly but we got this page uh, early on you know after he's rescuing the hostages and Batman says a child needs his parents it's a terrible thing for a child to have to grow up alone. Like as a reader, I'm like, I fucking know what happened to Bruce Wayne. I fucking know that you don't have to be so insistent on reminding me. Like it could be a bit more clever than that. Right. Uh, it could just be like, hate to see that kid grow up, you know, without his parents. Right. It just needs to be a line or something. Or you just see like Batman, just like deep in thought or reflection after saving, you know, a young couple. It doesn't have to be, again, just making the obvious, underlining it, circling it, highlighting it, like we see later on in the relationship with Talia and his overprotectiveness towards, you know, his unborn child. And we've not seen the last of, let's put the subtext into text of Batman's issues as a, a with, with daddy issues. That's something we see, oh, so many times. This is also, 
as a little bit of fun, the first time we see Ra's al Ghul play chess, that's a motif. We see Ra's play chess with various characters over the years. Both the two that jump immediately to mind, there might be more, but the two at one point when Bane was a member of the league, he plays Raish. And one time when Raish takes the Joker, they play chess as well. And the Joker wins because he's so ridiculously unpredictable. Raish can't figure out what move the Joker is going to make next. I could see that. The one thing I had in being a casual chess player and reading this, I'm like, uh, I think a stalemate might have been harder to come by between the two. Would have gotten deeper and longer into an end game uh, because you got a panel that looks like a, a full board, and then like three panels later, oh, stalemate. Um, but you know, little little chestnut picking aside. Is it one of those things where it's like the two martial artists who just stare at each other and predict all the moves, <laughs> and it's like, oh well, no, we can't beat each other. Also, I have to say, was this story is early enough in relation to Dark Knight and Year One, where when the Waynes get shot, we don't see the pearls in the flash. Thank God. Thank God, those fucking pearls. <laughs> this, this has been pointed out in various places online. The first time I ever heard it was when my, my wife pointed it out to me. If that was indeed an expensive string of pearls, they don't break like that. Strings of pearls, mm-hmm. expensive ones, are knotted in between each pearl. So if they break, they don't go flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me my pearl necklace is cheap? Oh my god, I feel bamboozled. See, see, I'm a gentleman because I didn't make the joke right there. I didn't. I'm a goddamn classy man. The art on this book is real nice. Bingham doesn't have a ton of credits. I was surprised when I looked him up how few, at least DC credits, Bingham has. He has far more Marvel credits, but even there, I mean, this guy did not, a, I guess, about even Marvel and DC, but you look at his career and it's not a ton of books. He also did, speaking of Elseworlds, uh, the Bruce Wayne gets a Green Lantern ring, uh, Batman in Darkest Night Elseworlds. But that's that in a, a confidential arc and a one-off. Uh, really, the, he only did four Batman stories, which is a shame because it's, it's a really good-looking Batman. And again very firmly in the 80s because that costume is blue and light gray oh yeah this is not the, the the modern dark gray and black outfit this is the 70s and 80s and early 90s batman costume and more to that point it's the blue light gray with the yellow cape at times with the inside of the cape having that yellow almost lining in how some of the panels are drawn. The, the, the moment at the beginning when Batman's on a, a helicopter that explodes, Jim Gordon writes him off real fast. <laughs> like he doesn't see him. Gordon's like, oh, boy, that's a shame. Dude, he's Batman. Give I'm, him a second. He's kind of starting to like the guy. Eh, 
Oh, well. Yeah, exactly. And at least in uh, in Blades, it works. That's year one. This is not year one year of Batman. One more weird moment that just stuck out to me is not being Batman to me. So he's coming in to, uh, to meet Raish and he, you know, he's getting off the plane and he says something like, every time I come here, some asshat wants to assert his manhood by pointing a gun at me and then i have to assert mine by taking it away from him like really did we did we need that that was just not good reading this story again i think a lot that and are bruce reacting for the purposes of the story and not necessarily in a character that we know as batman or yeah. as a, a standard Batman, which as this is, especially now is something that's outside of Canon. Okay. This is a, a, a different version of the character and it's not exactly the Batman as I would expect it, but that's, that's okay. He's, he's still an interesting character and, and he doesn't actively shoot anybody. So that's, that's good move on that. Hey, if this if this Batman stays in the league for like another six months, maybe he does start shooting people. But it's still this is a truer Batman to what we know as the tried and true Batman than most of the Batman movies. So there's that. This is a a fine story. It it's interesting. It's pretty. I don't think it's one I'm going to go back to again anytime soon. Nah. I mean, nah. I read it. You know. I've read it a couple of times over the years. I've got, you know, the hardcover of it. Not when it first came out. It's when I tracked down years later, find a nice hardcover in a used bookstore. It's like, hello. It's weird. And it's, it's very time stampy. There's very, very 80s-ness. It, it, it's, it's got that same Dark Knight Returns. This is very much a product of the mid to late 80s thing to it fucking reagan fucking everything up i think that that's pretty much where we stand on this one that means it's time to put batman son of the demon on the big board below Middle. blades hmm? below blades yeah yeah it's it's this is middle of the list probably lower middle of the list below blades how about above Bouncing Baby Boy? I'd put it a little higher than that, but not a ton higher. Speaking of time stampiness, I think in between somewhere in between Bouncing Baby Boy and Death Cast the Deciding Vote. Because Death Cast the Deciding Vote is also very much of its time, in that case, the 70s, but is more fun and Bruce remains a little more in character to who you'd expect Bruce Wayne to be. This probably holds together a little better than last week's Haunted, which, while enjoyable, has so many holes due to the editorial constraints. This at least has the time to breathe and develop out everything that it was trying to do. Yeah, I've I've read Haunted twice now. I had a whole third of a fucking podcast episode on it. I couldn't remember what it was until you told me right now. 
that's how forgettable Haunted is. Uh, I think Son of the Demon is uh, at least more consequential than that. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that so above that is Faces, the Matt Wagner Two-Face story with the island of freaks, not the proper term for people born differently, but is the phrase used in the story. So I'm using it in that context. Uh, that was more fun in a weird zany way. This is more weird in a Dolph Lundgren-y kind of way. Um, I would, I'd, I'd put this right between those two split that legends of the dark Knight, baby, make this the new 44. Yeah. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. So we're, yeah, you know, lower middle of the list, solid, solid. Solid showing, not too flashy, but not terrible either. So yeah, that that gives us three stories for the night. I have a very important question before we close out the show. Sure. What do what are we doing two episodes from now? Two episodes from now. Not next week, but the week after. Uh, that is going to be the last week in February. So we are going to be having a guest and we're going to be covering three stories a uh, three batman stories written by black writers see i was hoping that was going to be a zany episode because that's going to be number 69 <laughs> uh yeah ah, alas no darn oh, my we'll to, boyfriend <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait for for episode 69 we'll do something we'll we'll we'll, we'll We'll do three more stories for Batman Bones Down in episode 69. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I say that now, right now. I, I will make a promise. Hey, that, hey, that, we, we can put Batman Damned on yeah, the list. Yeah, oh, Batwang. Bat Dick. Bat, Batawang. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that that's two from now. Next week, we, we had a whole episode focused on Dick Grayson, the first Robin. We're not going to quite give any of the other Robins a spotlight yet, but next week is going to be three stories about three different Robins. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters. Dan Grote, June is dead. Long live June. Joshua Wheel, Zach Rabaroff, and Abigail Hartbaum, who we will thank both as a Patreon supporter and for being on the show right now. Thank you, Abigail. Hey, thank you guys for having me. The best co-co-host we've ever had. Oh, you're required to say that if you want to come to bed. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I, I have to re- reserve a special spot for Dan, as you know, he is my co-host on my other podcast, the father of my godson and my best friend of just shy of 30 years. Oh, God. Just literally, we, we did the math and we're at best friends for 29 years. And more Time of my hair just and right. marches on. It really, really, really does. But you, you can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics. And the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on ComicsXF.com, dropping Thursday mornings. Uh, you can support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shout outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. Uh, Maybe I'll hear- show up at your house. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> uh, if you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. 
And I am at Will Nevin. And good night, Miami. Good night, Miami. Uh, and be sure to visit ComicsXF, ComicsXF.com, or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my best friend of just shy of 30 years, Dan Grote, <laughs> and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark. <laughs>